Second Kings chapter seven, we're going to look at a couple of, uh, um, chapters there and what's happening in, in, in 16 and later on, but we're going to use verses one and two as kind of a launching point of this story of what, uh, happened. I've entitled this sermon, The Siege, and we're going to look at that because as the Assyrian army, Syria has come down and besieged Samaria. And this is the capital of the ten tribes to the north. And a siege in in warfare, if you don't know what that is, it basically means that the enemy or those who are against you have surrounded you and they just are not letting people in or out of the city. And they use this tactic, it begins to starve people out and such. Uh, Probably one of the more famous sieges in American history was the siege of Vicksburg. Vicksburg is, uh, it's, uh, um, on the Mississippi River. A general named General Grant at that time, Ulysses S. Grant was fighting in the West in the Civil War and they came to the city of Vicksburg. This was going to accomplish two things if they could take this city. One is they would have control of the Mississippi River, the entire length of the Mississippi River, thus cutting off a major supply route for the Confederate Army. And secondly, it would also cut off Oklahoma and Texas from being able to supply more troops and more uh, um, uh, supplies to the Confederates. Uh, and so this was going to be a very strategic uh, time to take it. Uh, General Grant attacked the city. He went a full-on assault on it, and he ended up getting his butt kicked. And he tried it again, even though he had a far superior number. The uh, Confederates were very dug into the city of Vicksburg, and they were able to repel the Union forces coming forward. So finally, Grant decided that he was going to siege, or some would call it besiege, the city. So he surrounded it, he just began to bomb it, uh, just send mortar kind of cannon fire into it uh, every day, no troops would go forward, uh, and he began to just hold them back uh, from uh, getting out. It took several weeks, I believe it went on from May 18th to July 4th of 1863. It said of the city that conditions got worse and worse over several weeks. People began to run out of food. They began to eat anything available, such as horses, dogs, and cats. Uh, it is even said that they ate leather belts. They ate bark of trees. Because malnutrition, many of the soldiers became sick from other diseases, such as scurvy, dysentery, and malaria. In addition to not having food, they were constantly bombed. People couldn't feel safe living in houses, so they began to dig into the hills. And if you're a student of history and the such, you know that uh, 1863, July 4th, uh, not only did Vicksburg fall, but the other major uh, 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 victory that the Union soldiers had that day was also in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And many call that the absolute turning of the tide of the war. And from that time, all the South did was retreat. 
And so it's very interesting here, the story of a siege. And so I want to talk to you about this as the enemy has come to attack the people of God and besiege them. This is a number of years. If you read a little earlier in chapter seven, they had uh, six rather, they had tried this. Elisha, God blinded them, brought him to breakfast. This is probably about seven years later. It says in chapter two, that while the siege is going on, Elisha replied, Elisha's a prophet. He said, listen to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow, the market of Samaria, six quarts of choice flour will cost only one piece of silver. And 12 quarts of barley will cost you one piece of silver. And the officer assisting the king said to the man of God, That couldn't happen even if the Lord opened a window of heaven. But Elisha replied, you will see it happen with your eyes, but you will not be able to eat of it. Let's think about the siege for just a moment that's going on. Like I said, the the Syrian army has come and they've surrounded the city of Samaria. There, it's no one goes in, no one goes out. uh, And as a result, they are beginning to uh, starve. There's a want for food. There's a want for other things. Uh, this goes back to some of their sin. They've rejected uh, 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 the uh, plan of God. The ten tribes have left. Uh, there, the north uh, was was filled with idolatry from the very beginning. Jeroboam, uh, who was their first king, set up idols. Uh, so they had idols in their land constantly and were under constant uh, attack. Uh, in Second Kings six twenty four, it says some. However, sometime later, this is after that incident, King Ben-Hadad of Aram mustered an entire army and besieged Syria, uh, Samaria rather. God will sometimes besiege us when we're not doing right. When we're not doing right, the enemy is allowed to come in. And wreak some havoc. Sometimes the enemy just does attack though. In the text there's no judgment that has been prophesied over Samaria. There's no uh, problems with the king. Yes, uh, problem. And we'll get to some of that. Uh, there are problems. But this was not a prophesied uh, kind of judgment. This was just simply sometimes the enemy just attacks. Peter describes him, uh, the devil, as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so the point is that there's just times that the devil and the enemy become opportunists and try to attack. Why would they attack? They're afraid of the promises of God. They're afraid of what God is going to do. They're afraid uh, of the blessing. Isn't it interesting that when some people are blessed... All anyone else can do is complain about it. You know, years ago in our fellowship, there had to be some warnings put out to some of the nations of the earth that were complaining, oh, you Americans. I remember a guy testifying. This goes back to the conference uh, in the tent. Uh, He was from a third world country and he's saying, oh, the problem with you Americans, if you had less meat and more rice on your plates, you could plant more churches. And it's like, and somebody got a hold of him and said, bro, 
Don't despise the blessing. If you had the opportunity to eat more meat and less rice, you would do it too. God has blessed America. It is nothing wrong with saying, God, you know, and, and nations, let's face it, if they can't be like us, they want to come to us. Thus our crisis on the southern border. Canada is more like us. That's why we don't have a crisis on the northern border. Right? They're, the Canadians aren't trying to flock in. They, you know, they think they have it better than us, but that's a whole another issue. But anyway, right? People want, they want to either have what you have or they'll resent it and say, oh, you're wasteful. You're this, you're whatever. Right? So that here's a man testifying at the conference. No, bro, you have to realize you wouldn't, you, you probably wouldn't be saved. It wasn't for those, those meat loving Americans who have uh, given in offerings to send churches to your nation. The devil will try to stop us and cause problems for the people of God. Note the three marks of a siege. That we see here. As the siege begins to happen. It's interesting that people. Begin to eat. The wrong things. They begin to consume. The wrong things. Second Kings. 625. As the result. There was a great famine. And the siege lasted so long. That a donkey's head was sold for 80 pieces of silver and a cup of dove's dung poop was sold for five pieces of silver. They're consuming the wrong things. And this is mighty expensive. We're going to get to this when we talk about the miracle, but in our text, uh, uh, it's very interesting uh, that he says that uh, six quarts of choice flour will be sold for one piece of silver. And now they're paying 80 pieces of silver for a donkey's head. This is not the choice part of a donkey. I don't know, you know, it, it, I've been overseas and been offered brains from different animals and I've politely declined. Just something about that. I've heard, you know, if you ever read, there was an old uh, a general who was a American hero in the 1990s uh, named General Schwarzkopf. Uh, and in his autobiography, uh, his father had been a uh, a, a uh, ambassador and a, a part of the State Department uh, and had gone to Iran. And when they found out that, that the ambassador's son was there, they offered him the choice part of the goat. The eyeball. And Schwarzkopf says, my dad looked at me and just out of a straight faced and just looked at me and said, eat it. Because you'll insult them if you don't. He said, so I had to eat it. But to me, that's disgusting. That's disgusting. But it is amazing that when people have a siege mentality, they'll eat disgusting things. A cup of dove's dung. How many of you, your lunch plans included dove's dung? What are we having tonight, babe? Dove's dung. Oh, can't wait. 
That'd be horrible, wouldn't it? That'd be disgusting. That's what begins to happen to some people. They begin to consume the unclean. They begin to consume that which they now justify. And it's costing them a lot. 80 pieces of silver for a donkey's head. They begin to eat each other. Verse 28 and 29, but the king, a woman comes to the king and the king says, what's the matter? And she replies, the woman replied to the king, come, uh, a woman said to me, come, let us eat your son today. We will kill and eat my son tomorrow. So we cooked my son and ate him. And on the next day, I said, kill your son so that we can eat him. But she hid her son. This is absolutely fascinating to me. Right? They, they're devouring. Now they're devouring one another. Galatians says in chapter 5 verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. And we'll get to that a little bit more in just a second. But what's fascinating to me is the woman doesn't say this was wrong. She's just mad that the other woman hit her son. Can you picture that? This is the siege mentality. People get the wrong thinking. It's not like, you know what? This was wrong. We shouldn't have done this. This is, no, she's not doing, tell her to make her, tell her to, we got to cook her son. Wow. The twisting of thinking here of Galatians 5.15, the life application study Bible says that when we believe, when, when we believers lose motivation of love, we become critical of each other. We stop looking at good in them and only see faults. We soon lose our unity. We talk, how, um, then he asked, then they asked the question, have you talked about someone behind their back? Have you focused on other shortcomings instead of their strengths? Remind yourself that Jesus commanded to love one another as you loved yourself, as you love yourself. Then you will begin to feel, uh, when you begin to feel critical of someone or make a list of that per, make a list of that person's positive qualities. The problem that need to be addressed confront in love rather than in gossip. This is a siege mentality. Finally, we see that they're blaming the wrong people. It's not that the Syrians have come down and invaded the land. It's Elisha's fault. They're going to go after Elisha now. The king says, chapter 6, 30 through 33, And when the king heard this about the children being eaten... He tore his clothes in despair. He walked uh, along the wall so the people could see he was wearing burlap under his robe and next to his skin, which was a false presentation of false humility. He said, may God strike me even if I, uh, even if I don't, uh, and even kill me if I don't separate Elisha's head from his shoulders this very day. The king bowed. Elisha was sitting in his house with some elders of Israel. And the king sent a messenger to summon him. And before the messenger arrived, Elisha said to the elders, The murderer has been sent to cut off my head. When he arrived, shut the door and keep him out. 
We will soon hear his master following. And while Elisha was saying this, the messenger arrived and the king said, uh, all the misery, uh, all this misery is from the Lord. Why should we wait on the Lord any longer? They're blaming God now. It's not the enemy. It's not their sin. It's not their disobedience. It's God's fault. The Lord has done this to me. It's very fascinating, the siege mentality. Because now they're blaming God. They're blaming Elijah. They're blaming those, even though they're not the ones who have done right. They're not the ones. They're the ones who have allowed idolatry into the land. Immorality, Baal worship, all of these things that are there. It's not a consequence of their disobedience. It's the Lord's fault. It's the Lord's fault. It's a siege mentality. And what we see very interesting is that their faith is gone. Their, their, their faith is gone. This was not true of everyone, and we're about to see that. But their faith is gone. They're simply living in the land, and they're not crying out to God. Right? Catch the mentalities. The king, he's mad. It's Elisha's fault. No repentance. No, oh God, have mercy on us. No prayers. The woman eating her son. Oh, it's not fair. We ate my son. We didn't eat her son. You know, you know, you make her eat me. You know, we're going to eat her son. You make her be so, What? Where's the repentance? Where's the crying out of humility? Why is it that consuming the unclean was considered okay? Fascinating. I want to talk to you about the miracle and how it was totally missed by some. So in our text, the man of God prophesies, listen to the message of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. By tomorrow, the markets of Samaria, six quarts of choice flour will be sold at the piece of one silver. Twelve quarts of barley and grain will only cost one piece of silver. Elisha prophesies and says there's going to be a miracle and it's going to happen quickly. Quickly. Pastor Greg preached on the hastening. It stirred my soul of the word that Pastor Bowman gave when I was launched here. A tsunami. Christmas, the day after Christmas, 2004, an earthquake happened in the Indian Ocean, creating a tsunami that killed 225,000 people. That quick. A tsunami of souls coming into the church, a tsunami of revival, quickly. He says, today you're paying $80 for a piece of silver, but $80 for a donkey's head, $5 for a cup of dove's dung tomorrow, six quarts of silver, six quarts of fine flour for one dollar. Talk about deflation. But let's think here of the officer. 
Because if you want to see unbelief in all its array, it's right here. I don't want to call it glory. All its array. The officer said, whose hand the king leaned on, answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord made a window in heaven, could this thing be? And in fact, Elisha said, you will see it with your eyes, but you will not eat of it. It's amazing. He doubted the power of God. He said, God can't do that. Even if he did, it's, it wouldn't be enough. He doubted the messenger of God. He doubted the creativity of God. He says it can only happen one way. See, unbelief says it can't be true. The new thing can't be true. God couldn't do it that quick. No, God, no. Tomorrow? No. There's only one way this could be accomplished. The only way I see it is if the windows haven't poured out, you know. And you learn that God is really, 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 really smart, and you're not. I mean, that's the way. But unbelief is convinced you're smarter than God. I can only see it happening one way. And even if it happens, it won't be enough. That's unbelief speaking. That's the curse of unbelief. Just speaking, oh, you know, well, God can't, or it's been this way, or what, you know, God can't help me. God can't do this. God can't do that. God can't. And even if it did, was it going to have, you know? Really? Because unbelief is costly. It's said of this man that you will see it with your eyes, but you won't taste it with your lips. Unbelief is restraining to God. Matthew thirteen fifty eight. He did not do many mighty works because of their unbelief. Jesus Christ is in the midst of them. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is right there. He's risen the dead. He's cleansed the leopards, the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear. And in his hometown, he can't do much of anything because of their unbelief. NPR has a show called This American Life. It's very interesting. They interviewed a man named David Rakoff. He's, he's just this, he's a reporter. He works some very interesting stories. In the early 1990s, he heard a young girl sing and he thought, in a New York nightclub, and he thought, this girl won't go anywhere. Her name was Madonna. He was in Tokyo in 1986 where the computer giants of Japan were working on a ability to send little messages through a network from one computer to another. His quote in the interview, he said, 
What kind of loser would want to lock onto a computer just to talk to someone? The moment of decisiveness, he said, sayonara, suckers. Good luck with your network. Of course, that little network would become the internet. And how many of us communicate today with text messages? He also read a little manuscript and said, oh, it's trash, it's garbage, you know, on the difference of men and women, stupid little thing. Turned out to be a book called Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus that sold over 15 million copies. He didn't have the best discernment. This is what he was saying, is that in his reporting, there were times where David would see things and he would miss what was really happening. We speak wrong things and we can miss the hand of God moving. We speak wrong things and we lose out on the blessing of God. It was the children of Israel in Numbers 13 who believed the report of the ten spies who came back with the evil report, as the Bible calls it. And they missed out on the promised land for 40 years. There are people who literally speak against the blessing of God who will see it, but not partake of it. That's what happened to this man. Let's talk finally at the working of the Lord. God was doing something that these people couldn't even see. This king, you know, the Elisha prophesied that I wonder if Elisha knew that there were four leprous men sitting outside the city who at that point were, point were going to say, well, we have a couple of choices, boys. We can sit here and die. We can go into the city and die. Or we can go to the Syrians. And maybe they kill us, but you know what? We're dead anyway. Or maybe, just maybe, they'll take us as prisoners and we can eat. And so after some discussion, I'm sure they made the decision that they were going to go to the Syrians. And the Bible says, as these four leprous men were on their way, the Lord caused the army of Syria to hear a noise as chariots and the noise of horses and the noise of a great army, so that they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the king of the Hittites and the king of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. God was going to do something supernatural. These four leprous men go into the camp and they see this. They're like, wow. I can I kind of picture them walking into the camp, right? And there's nobody there and like, we surrender. Hello? Hello. Is that soup hot? Wow, that's a chicken leg. Listen, we surrender. Wow, that's good. I'm gonna get another one. Hey, look. Anyone? Hello? 
Hello? <laughs> oh, good. You know what? Let's feast. And then they say to themselves, it's not good. We should go tell the city. God is moving. Second Kings 7, 15 and 16. And they went out after them, the Jordan and in the road. After they come back and tell the city, there's full of weapons and garments, not only food, but weapons and garments. And the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. And the messenger returned and told the king. And the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. So eat, so a scene of a fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two sheens of barley were sold for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. God was going to do this. Food was being sold, but not only sold, sold at the price that Elisha had told them it would be. God had put this in his plans. But unbelief is unbelievable. What people will do to defend their unbelief is incredible. The king hears of this. The people are starving. And in verse 17 of 2 Kings 7, now the king appointed the officer whose hand he leaned on to have charge of the gate. But the people trampled him in the gate, and he died just as the man of God who had spoke when the king had come down to him. Now you got to catch what's going on here, because if you don't get the full picture, he literally goes to close the gate. Literally goes there to stop the people from going out and getting the food that they so desperately needed from the siege. His unbelief was going to make sure that and try to work against what God was doing. To stop the people from receiving the blessing of God. No, I'm going to make sure this doesn't happen. I'm going to be the keeper of the... Like, this isn't crazy. This is amazing. But listen to me. You will defend your unbelief. You will defend your unbelief. And when God begins to move and vindicate and show His work for others as He was doing for Elisha, you'll defend your unbelief. Verse... Charles Spurgeon, rather, said... Unbelievers do not really enjoy the things of life. They mass them wealth, but it does not yield satisfaction. On Their outward riches cannot conceal their inward poverty. Too many men have already given their hearts over to what they can wish for, and yet do not have what their heart really wishes for. They have everything but contentment. A mark of unbelief is discontentment with everything. I've seen it. They want to blame everyone and every, it's, it's New York's fault. It's Rochester's fault. 
It's this fault. It's that fault. It's this. It's his fault. It's her fault. You're not content. It's unbelief. He loses out because the people it couldn't. It, you can't stop the blessing of God. Everyone else is blessed. I want you to think about two things. One is in the market. Exactly what the man of God prophesied happened. The food was sold, people were beginning to eat, things were beginning to restore to normal as far as that went. But in the second time they go out there, it doesn't say that they just found food. It says they found garments and they found weapons. Or... It was more than even Elisha had prophesied. We live in a day where there's a million clothing stores and, you know, you can get everything from secondhand clothing stores to fine, ritzy, fancy $4,000 shirts, right? That's the, we live in that day. It's not hard to get clothes. We can't grasp the thought of having Garments just kind of there. It was very labor intensive. There were no machines. There were no imports. There were no those kinds of things. The loom had yet to be invented. And so it was all, much was done by hand. And so when there were garments like this would have been considered a major blessing. You read about it where they would go with an offering to uh, Elisha when Naaman comes uh, and, you know, he brings silver and he brings changes of clothes or garments. It would have been considered a major blessing. Weapons. This would have helped them that Syria didn't come back. We've got your weapons. Lithuania. A couple of years ago, was, there's a little enclave of Russia called Kaliningrad that sits between Lithuania and Poland. And a Russian MiG was taking off out of Kaliningrad. And as it was taking off, it experienced some engine trouble and it crashed in Lithuania. Lithuania is part of NATO. The Americans and the Brits and the French and the Germans we were all there very quickly to receive code books, to receive uh, uh, their, look at their technology, look at their radar systems, look at all of this. The pilot did survive, at least the crash. But I had, I wonder what happened to him when he got back to Russia. I'm sure he was, if he wasn't killed, he was obviously probably put to guard some polar bear out in the middle of Siberia. It would have been horrible for him. But having that, they could see into what possibly would be a threat to them. They were able to counter that. This would have been considered a great blessing. So the choice is yours. Will you speak unbelief and then defend your words? Or will you believe God? That he can and is going to and will do a great and mighty work. The choice is yours. 
When the people of Vicksburg finally surrendered, it became the beginning of the end of the Confederacy. Literally, that is the army, Grant's army, which eventually he would be moved up to the north to take over for politics and all of that. But that army that defeated Pittsburgh would chase from the Mississippi River all the way to the Atlantic Ocean, the Confederate army, and beat the, this is the army that was blamed for Atlanta burning, but, you know, if you know your history, it's probably... The Confederates burned it so that the so that the Union couldn't get anything out of it. Probably wasn't the Union burning it, but on and on it went. It was the it was a great victory that marked the turning point of the war. When the siege was over, I'm telling you, we have crossed now into a time where this the the turning point. We're going to see great things, great things. The facility is here. I can't tell you how many people at conference, including leaders, were just encouraging me, saying, you know what, God's going to do. Just seeing and knowing and sharing and, and the excitement from, like I said, India to the United States. Pastor Campbell and Pastor Stevens are thrilled and excited. Pastor Olson and on and on it goes to, you know, leaders in London and, and in Holland and all. It's just what God is going to do. How's your words? I believe we're on that verge. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. You've come this morning. You're not right with God. Your words, your unbelief will obviously make you discontent. It'll be something in your life that will always be there until you confess Jesus Christ with your mouth. Believe in your heart God has risen him from the dead. When you do that, God will bless and help strengthen your life. And maybe you're here this morning, you're not right with God, but you need to get your heart right. I wonder if you'd slip up your hand very quickly. Say, pray for me. Not right with God. I'm not saved. Maybe you're backslidden. You need to come back to Jesus. Very quickly, slip up your hand. Pray for me. Not right with God. Changing the call then to Christians. This man talked himself out of what God was going to do. He even tried to stand in the way of what God was going to do. And all that happened is he got trampled. Checking our words, critical in life. Critical for our future. The city of Samaria considered themselves very blessed on the next day. But not this man. He missed out because of what he spoke. Let us be careful with what we speak. Let's stand. These altars are open. And allow God. This is my desire. This is my
gave you my heart. This is my desire.